Welcome to the Digital Edge with Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway. Your hosts, both legal technologists, authors, and lecturers, invite industry professionals to discuss a new topic related to lawyers and technology. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 101st edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. And I'm Jim Calloway, director of the Oklahoma Bar Association's Management Assistance Program. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsor, Scorpion, which delivers award-winning law firm web design and online marketing programs to get you more cases. Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms, just like yours, attract new cases and grow their practices. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. Thanks to CloudMask, which offers cost-effective and efficient data encryption for law firms, whether large or small, in Google Apps, Office 365, and other cloud solutions. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at www.cloudmask.com. Thanks to ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit servenow.com to learn more. Today, our topic is the new Legal Cloud Computing Association security standards for the legal industry. We are very pleased to have as our guests today, Jack Newton and Larry Port, two titans in the world of legal cloud computing. Jack Newton is the founder of Clio, one of the pioneers of cloud-based practice management. Jack has spearheaded efforts to educate the legal community on the security, ethics, and privacy-related issues surrounding cloud computing and has become a nationally recognized writer and speaker on these topics. Jack has recently joined the board of the International Legal Technology Standards Organization, where he will help the organization craft standards for law office technology. He also co-founded and is acting president of the Legal Cloud Computing Association, a consortium of legal cloud computing providers with a mandate to help accelerate the adoption of cloud computing in the legal industry. Larry Port, Rocket Matter founder and CEO, is a speaker and award-winning writer at the crossroads of the legal profession, cutting-edge technology, and law firm marketing. He frequently discusses design and efficiency and quality standards in the software industry that can be leveraged by lawyers and legal professionals. He was named to the 12 Fast Case 50, honoring the law's smartest, most courageous innovators, techies, visionaries, and leaders. Thanks for joining us today, Jack and Larry. Thanks for having me, Jim and Sharon. It's a pleasure to be with you here today. Glad to be here. Gentlemen, we appreciate you being a guest on our podcast, both as the chief executive officers of your companies and also as participants in the Legal Cloud Computing Association. While we are here to talk about the LCCA's newly released security standards, but before we do that, we'd like to get you to tell us a little bit about this organization since we anticipate many of our members may not be familiar with it. Sure. So uh, the Legal Cloud Computing Association is a nonprofit organization, and really it's an industry consortium of cloud computing vendors in the legal space. And we got started about 2010. And uh, one of the reasons we did that is because we decided to get together was we felt that law firms and lawyers really needed to be educated about um, 
you know, what was happening in the cloud. Because at the time, there was a lot of confusion, uh, a lot of misinformation. The, the, the cloud was not yet adopted as kind of a mainstream thing. It was kind of this nebulous thing that nobody really understood what it is. And I guess to some degree, it still is that way. And that's why we continue to try and help educate people. But there were uh, certain things going on in certain state bar associations related to ethics opinions. And the ABA was doing their 2020 ethics opinions at the time. So we decided to uh, reach out to one another and say, hey, do you see what's going on here? And we all got together and started discussing these issues. And out of that, the LCCA was born. Jack, earlier this year, you released the LCCA security standards. We're going to provide a link to those standards for our podcast. But can you explain why your group decided to adopt these standards? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the standards were really uh, born out of our organization's view that uh, while the ethics opinions that we've seen come out over the course of the last five years on cloud computing have been useful in that they uh, directionally give approval for the use of cloud computing in law firms, most of the opinions are pretty pretty high level and don't go into the details of what exactly uh, lawyers should be looking for in a cloud computing service. Specifics of what most ethics opinions use in terms of language is the reasonable care standard. So where a, a lawyer needs to have a reasonable expectation of privacy in a, with a given cloud computing provider uh, and needs to undertake due diligence to assure themselves that they, they have that reasonable expectation of privacy. And most most of these ethics opinions end with that kind of a statement. Yes, Cloud computing is acceptable, uh, but this reasonable care standard must be must be upheld, and that leaves most lawyers wondering: Well, what exactly does this look like? What's what's a checklist that I can utilize to to actually perform uh, due diligence on a cloud com- computing provider? And as as Larry mentioned, this consortium of leading cloud computing vendors in the space decided we would. Uh, undertake the process of crafting these standards around what we felt would be modern best practices around storing your data in the cloud. So we we address everything from physical security uh, to understanding the location of your data, encryption standards, uh, limitations to third-party access, data retention policies, uh, and various insights on terms of service privacy policies and so on are also addressed in the in the standards. And we feel that armed with these these standards as kind of a baseline, lawyers will be able to much more effectively and easily assess whether a cloud computing provider is providing that that reasonable expectation of, of privacy that the uh, the ethics opinions are are offering. And at this at the national level, we also have as, as again as Larry mentioned the 2020 Ethics Commission, which while it didn't come out with a specific ethics opinion on on cloud computing, it did modify the model rules of professional conduct. Uh, specifically uh, Section 1.6 around confidentiality and identified, a Rule 1.6 rather, and identified that there needs to be a basic understanding of the technologies that lawyers are using and the relative risks uh, and rewards that come along with those technologies. And we feel that these standards provide a great way for lawyers to educate themselves and adhere to uh, the, the ABA model rules of professional conduct which most state-level model rules of professional conduct are also uh, also based on. So we feel that with these standards, we provide a lot of clarity on what exactly reasonable care looks like in the era of cloud computing. And what process did you use to adopt the standards? So 
these standards kind of evolved over a long period of time and um, are kind of the output of a lot of thinking over um, different drafts of different things that we've done and responses that we've done over the years. And they've kind of morphed to take this new shape. Um, you know, um, one thing that uh, was new to this iteration of, um, you know, explanations was getting some actual outside opinions on things. Um, so, you know, we didn't want it just to be kind of vendors uh, talking about what we thought was the right thing. I mean, we genuinely believe that this is the right way uh, for things to be secured. I mean, as as technology professionals ourselves, we're probably paranoid than the next guy, right? You know, just to make sure that that kind of belief system kind of carried through, we thought it was pretty important to reach out to um, people in the industry. And, and Jack, maybe you can kind of talk about some of the people that we reached out to to kind of like uh, put their imprimatur on this thing. Yeah, so as, as Larry mentioned, we uh, recruited a, a set of external advisors to give us feedback on the, on the standards. So uh, to, to recognize those contributors, I can, I can name them. There's uh, Craig Ball, Chad Burton, Adriana Linares, uh, Kelly Twigger, Antigone Payton, and uh, Jonathan Redgrave that served as uh, an external advisory board that gave us a lot of constructive feedback on the standards. Uh, if you look at the CVs of each of those individuals, you'll, you'll see an unbelievable uh, breadth of experience. We have uh, practicing attorneys that are experts in legal technology. We have uh, folks that participate in the Sedona conference a really, really uh, terrific bench of uh, of contributors to the standards there that provided, uh, I think, a really great external governance and oversight function over uh, over the creation of these these standards. Yeah, and we also were wanted to be doubly safe, so we did run it by boxing promoter Don King, and also Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. <laughs> all right. Well, Jack, at ABA Tech Show 2016, where we all partied like it was 1999, uh, we, we heard from panelists from the Electronic uh, Frontier Foundation and Edward Snowden's lawyer. And there, one lawyer went so far as to say that if the system allows for password recovery, it is too insecure to hold client data. What's your reaction to that? Well, I think that uh, I think you can go too far when you you start putting on the the kind of tinfoil hat that the the Snowden revelations can can sometimes cause people to to do. And at the end of the day, uh, absolute security is is something that just doesn't uh, doesn't exist. What the expectation that the ABA has and the the bar associations that have issued ethics opinion is a reasonable expectation of privacy, knowing that. Uh, with enough money, enough time, and enough resources, uh, any system can be compromised. And by the way, that's not just digital systems. Those are physical systems. If you have your file, your legal files locked up in a filing cabinet uh, at, your, at your office, uh, a lot of people have a, a false sense of security in the fact that those files are physically secured uh, and not in, in the cloud. When in reality, uh, those, those files are probably much more easily compromised uh, in their their physical form in that locker, there's folks like cleaning staff, and probably a, a thirty-five dollar Home Home Depot deadbolt between the public and that data. And most every cloud computing provider offers a level of security uh, that is far and above what you'd be able to achieve with your own uh, own on-premise systems. So I, I think these these standards help set what a, a reasonable ex- expectation of privacy would be. Uh, the the kind of approach this lawyer is talking about is what's sometimes called a 
a zero knowledge uh, level of security where the cloud computing provider has no ability to uh, to access your data on your behalf with your permission or to access uh, your data if you forget your your passcode and provide you a mechanism to retrieve your uh, your passcode. And I, I think a lot of lawyers would have to balance the risk that they forget their password or that their password management program becomes corrupt or some, something other awful happens that they're no longer able to re- remember their pass, pass, password. The downside of these zero-knowledge systems is that your data is now irrecoverably lost. And a lot of lawyers would think that the impact on their practice and on their clients uh, would be uh, unacceptably high if they were if they ran into a situation where they, they actually couldn't recover their password. So our group's thinking is that that's a, that's a bridge too far when it comes to security. We need to balance... Uh, a bit of pragmatism and practicality with uh, the ideal of absolute security. This is all about risk management. And this set of security standards gives a a great framework, I think, for assessing what the relative security of a cloud computing provider is. Yeah. And if I could just, if I could just pick up on that real quick, I mean, one of the uh, things that uh, is a a good analogy is this idea that you can have a perfectly secure house you make it all of concrete and have no doors and windows, so it, it becomes like not very usable. And um, in terms of like not allowing users to recover their passwords, I just checked with the support department because I at Rocket Matter here because I I had a nagging suspicion that the number one support ticket was people getting locked out of the system, and that indeed was the case. That is the number one uh, reason that people uh, write in or call into support. So I think if you get yourself in a situation where uh, we can't help you out or bail you out of that situation and your data is lost forever. I think it is going too far. Well, one of these days we'll have to hoist a few beers and argue that one out. But but for the moment, I'll let Jim ask you the next question. (laughs) (laughs) Well, data security standards are one key provision. Can you discuss what the standards provide as appropriate data security standards? Sure. So um, we look at data security from a variety of different perspectives, right? So um, obviously, you know, there's there's a couple of uh, things that you want to consider. Like the the SaaS providers have to have their servers somewhere, right? And and where those systems are, or cloud computing um, companies uh, need to have certain certifications. So we list a couple of them in there: um, SOC two twenty seven zero zero one. So there's things like that that if you really want to get into the nuts and bolts of of whether or not somebody's using like the right like kind of data center or something, but that's important, right? Because you don't want we always joke about it, but you don't want it being in like your cousin Eddie's closet. You want it to be like in a responsible data center that's like unbelievably secure. And because because let's face it, physical security is is by far the bigger risk than like cybersecurity. And it, it's funny that the going back to that last question that the thing with Edwin Snowden's lawyer saying that uh, about password recovery. The, the great irony is is that you know Snowden was an inside job. You know it was he had physical access to stuff and he downloaded things and so it's kind of interesting that he's going on that like kind of external attack route when uh, Snowden was an internal kind of situation. But going down the list of like the other things that we talk about, we talk about encryption, we talk about, you know, you know standards of encryption. We talk about one thing that a lot of people outside the industry don't know about which is testing. Uh, in terms of security testing, that's one thing that we think a lot about when you're creating software like this. So it's your your software has to be written in such a way uh, to prevent certain types of attacks. And then there, there's different types of testing that you can can do, such as uh, penetration testing or vulnerability scans that can 
can really make sure that the application is good. So I, I think it's important that lawyers do know about that, and, and they do know that the people that they're getting into bed with with their data are engaging in, in, in some sort of like testing. Then we go into other things about deleting data, adding data, retrieving data, you know, who can access the data. All those different kind of things are, are kind of like really spelled out, and it's a lot of really good food for thought, I think. For, for law firms to take a look at that thing. And, and the nice thing to know is that, you know, these standards aren't just standards like a checklist for them to go through. You know, if, if an organization is part of the LCCA, then the organization will adhere to those standards as well. I would uh, add to Larry's comments as well. There's a, there's a set of standards that really refer specifically to lawyers. And this is an important part of the reason we created these standards is while there's some baseline technology standards like the encryption standards and some of the physical security standards Layer referred to that apply across all industries. Uh, lawyers have a very specific set of needs uh, to meet their rules of professional conduct and their professional obligations. So some of the standards, like standard 17 around confidentiality, standard 18 around ownership of data, standard 19 around notification if there's uh, data demands made by a government agency, notification around data breach, those kinds of standards really help provide comfort to a, a, to a lawyer that they uh, that their their cloud provider is is upholding a, upholding a given standard of confidentiality. Uh, it makes it very clear that the lawyer owns their data. Uh, makes it clear that if there's a, a data demand made, the lawyer will have the opportunity to uh, to intervene with that uh, government agency and to object to the data demand. So there's uh, some some really important lawyer and legal specific standards in these uh, um, in these standards as well. Well, standard five relates to data encryption, and of course, that's something that John and I lecture about all the time. So I feel bad asking this question because I have such a strong opinion, but I will ask it anyway. Um, we certainly all agree that data has to be encrypted as it travels across the Internet, but the other, another question is whether the data has to be encrypted at, at rest. Uh, and of course, we feel very strongly that it does, um, but I know that there are people with different views. Can you tell our listeners what your company's practices are? Uh, and whether you consider this to be important? Yeah, Jack? I can go first on that. We uh, we encrypt data both at rest and in transit. The reason encrypting at rest, I think, is sometimes minimized in, in terms of its level of importance relative to being encrypted in transit, just to explain these two concepts to, to your listeners that may not be uh, familiar with what are, you know, at the end of the day, pretty subtle and uh, and nuanced technical topics. When we're talking about data in transit, this is saying the data is encrypted between the company's data center and the web browser that the uh, the customer or end user is uh, is looking at the website on and 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 using the website on. So that link being encrypted means that no one that is between you and that cloud provider's data center can eavesdrop on your communications. And this is hugely important because it means that you can practice uh, securely. In a Starbucks, for example, on their public Wi-Fi, knowing that your encryption link between your web browser and the cloud provider's data center is completely secure and can't be eavesdropped upon. Or if it is eavesdropped upon, it looks like a bunch of random data to whoever is, uh, is eavesdropping on, the, on that connection. There could be a bunch of bad actors anywhere along the, the path that your data is, um, is, is, is passing along. So that's really a must-have for any service you're using for confidential client data. Encryption in transit is, is a must. 
When we talk about encrypting at rest, this means that the data is actually encrypted on, on the data center's uh, hard drives, meaning that if somebody stole that hard drive from the data center, or if that data center, if that hard drive was intercepted on its way to a, a data destruction facility, which by the way is how uh, millions of uh, HIPAA protected records were uh, released to the public just a couple of years ago, uh, was a, a hard drive being stolen out of a, a van on its way to a data destruction center. The at-rest encryption protects the data from, uh, from those kinds of potential breaches as well. Although the relative risk of data being stolen from a data center, I think, is orders of magnitude less than the risk of sending unencrypted data across the, uh, across the Internet. Uh, but in these standards, we identify that uh, encryption should be applied at rest as well as uh, in, in transit to, be, uh, to provide the, what, what we view as an appropriate level of security for, uh, for legal data. Um, and in our case, uh, what we do is, you know, all data is encrypted in transit, and we have select data that's encrypted at rest. We don't have all data encrypted at rest. And, and the reason that is is because, again, we, we really feel that to have the optimal experience in the application, we want to be able to have the kind of searching that is appropriate, and we want to be able to have the, you know, kind of flexibility in terms of interface that we can achieve. The, the other thing is that even if you do have data at rest encrypted and data in transit encrypted, at some point it is unencrypted, right? So it's, it, it's unencrypted when you're viewing it on your browser. It, it can also be unencrypted in the computer's memory. So, I mean, if it, was un, if it was completely encrypted the whole way through, then no, would be, no one would be able to use it. Well, gentlemen, that's a very interesting discussion. And uh, before we move on to the rest of the podcast, let's take a quick commercial break. In recent years, the legal sector has come under increasing pressure to improve efficiency and client services. CloudMask enables law firms and solo attorneys to leverage free and low-cost software as a service, such as Google Apps and Office 365, to improve efficiency and client service while reducing costs, strengthening compliance with data privacy laws, and ensuring that legal ethical duties are met. Cloud Mask Encryption is even certified by 26 governments around the world. Sign up now for your 60-day free account at cloudmask.com. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the country. Connect your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit servenow.com. Not getting enough cases from the internet? The kind of cases you want? Scorpion can help. Over the last 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours attract new cases and grow their practices. During this time, Scorpion has won over 100 awards for its law firm website design and online marketing success. Join the thousands of law firms which partner with Scorpion and start getting more cases today. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. 
welcome back to the Digital Edge on the Legal Talk Network. Today, our subject is the new LCCA Cloud Computing Security Standards for the Legal Industry. And our guests are Jack Newton, the founder of the cloud-based case management software Clio, and Larry Port, the founder and CEO of the cloud-based case management software Rocket Matter. So what do the standards require for security testing? So there's, there's four things that are outlined in, in the standards document. So the first one is vulnerability scans. And what these are is uh, kind of automated tests that run every night. They don't have to be automated. They can be also be manually performed. But what they do is they, they, they run on these scripts that basically probe the application and make sure that uh, certain vulnerabilities aren't there. And that's really important with cloud computing because the, the applications change all the time. It, it's not like when you download a program and run it on your desktop. Um, we update our application you know, weekly, um, every two weeks, and so on and so forth. So you don't want to inadvertently push something out into production and um, introduce a vulnerability. So having like nightly vulnerability scans is a critical thing. Then there's something called penetration testing, which is actually quite interesting and fun. And, and that's kind of a creative process of seeing if people can get into software. So not just necessarily automated scripts uh, looking for specific vulnerabilities, but really trying to get creative, seeing how they can break into kind of systems. That's also known as white hat hacking. And that's what I think most people think of when they think of like how somebody might protect their system. Then there's other things that are a little bit more under the hood. Right? So we call these static code reviews and dynamic code reviews. And basically, those are ways of looking at the, the software itself, making sure that best practices are adhered to, and making sure that when, when code is actually running, that it's running in a safe way, that you know, there aren't like memory vulnerabilities or other things like that. Yeah, that is a fascinating process. So, so, Jack, what about a user who fails to make a payment? Is that lawyer's access at some point to the client data blocked? And is there also a point at which the data would be deleted? How, how, how do you handle that? Yeah, so I, I think that's uh, uh, something you have to be especially sensitive around as it relates to, to client data and the, the lawyers, the obligation lawyers have to maintain access to their, uh, their client data. Uh, and, and we also need to realize there's a variety of reasons that a, a lawyer might uh, inadvertently slip into a situation where they're behind on their account. Uh, that uh, that would not indicate that they ha- want to cancel the service or leave the service or have their data deleted. For example, a lawyer could fall ill and be be hospitalized and be in a situation where they're you know in a coma for six months. Uh, their subscription could go unpaid for five of those months, and I think the worst thing that could possibly happen would be uh, they walk out of the, the hospital to find out that their legal practice meant management data has been uh, been wiped out from the, the service they've been using. So we think the right thing to do is to notify users if there's uh, issues with their, their payment and to always provide the user access to their, their data uh, in a form that they can export from, uh, from Clio. So if you have this, this hypothetical example where you're, you're gone from your practice for uh, six, six months, you're, you fall behind on payment, uh, when you try to log on to Clio Next, uh, your data will still be there, and you'll be presented with a, a pop-up notification saying, "You know, by the way, your your credit card data is out of date or expired, and please enter your uh, your new data." And if you at that point choose to say, uh, "I no longer want my subscription," we'll give you the ability to export all of your data in an open, non-proprietary format, and we'll only delete data with the explicit instructions of the user to uh, to do so. 
which actually segues into another aspect of the standards, which is around data deletion and making sure that data is properly expunged from a, from the system, which again, many lawyers have a, a professional obligation to ensure that data is not just intended to be deleted, but actually deleted from the, the system they're utilizing. We noticed that the uh, standards are labeled version one, uh, which is always a red flag in the software industry. <laughs> what about the future of these standards? Is this going to be an evolving set of standards? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as technology evolves, the standards are going to have to evolve as well. You know, cybersecurity is, is very much of a cat and mouse game, and I, I think that it's going to continue to be that way. And I think uh, the people in the LCCA, we all have a very good open relationship, and we're always in dialogue. And I think you'll be able to see more stuff and thought leadership from us. Yeah, and just just to add to that, a, a good example of uh, something that's not in the, the standards in its in, in its cur- current form is anything really prescriptive around two-factor authentication and whether that's the baseline for for security. This is something that's entering uh, the mainstream in terms of ways that that customers authenticate to an uh, an application. But as time goes on, this might become something we deem to be a reasonable baseline that all. Uh, cloud computing services that provide service lawyers should have, and it could get introduced as a, a new baseline standard. So as Larry said, these will be evolving and uh, staying at the, the cutting edge of, of security. Well, I'll, I'll bet the mortgage money that uh, two-factor authentication and even multi-factor authentication beyond two factors becomes the standard one day. It's only just a, a matter of time. But I, I want to thank you both for being our guest today, for taking your valuable time out of your days. I know the audience has enjoyed listening to you both, and I do think that the uh, the organization has done a great job coming up with these standards. I've now been lecturing on them. They haven't been around long, but I've been lecturing on them probably twice twice a week uh, since they were first announced and people really sit up and take notice and even take photographs of the PowerPoint slides. So there's a lot of interest around doing this the right way. And I think that the organization has made a great contribution to that. And I think the two of you uh, deserve a lot of thanks for your contributions uh, to safe cloud computing for lawyers. So thank you very much for being with us. Thanks for having me, uh, Jim and Sharon. It's been been great, and thanks for for spreading the word. Much appreciated. Yeah, it's been a total pleasure, and uh, thanks very much. Well, that does it for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers in Technology. And remember, you can subscribe to all the editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And if you enjoyed our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Miss Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy. Thanks for listening to The Digital Edge, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join Sharon Nelson and Jim Calloway for their next podcast covering the latest topic related to lawyers and technology. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.